Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Look, the reality is this. Baking a cake is hard, especially the kind of fancy cake that goes on television. Exhibit A, The Great British Bake Off on Netflix, a reality competition show that contestants spend years preparing for. If something is off about your cake, even the slightest bit off, maybe a little too much lemon or cardamom, or or maybe your mirror glaze never set right, you're going to go home. But then there's Exhibit B, Nailed It, also on Netflix. Nailed It takes the same basic premise. Bring people together in a big kitchen, have them make a big, pretty cake. Only none of the people really know anything about baking or cooking. And instead of four hours, they give them 90 minutes. So what could possibly go wrong? The answer, of course, is everything. Sad, droopy cupcakes that are barely baked, burnt fondant monstrosities, ingredients materializing that were never in the recipe. Nailed It is a celebration of failure. It's a warm-hearted ode to, well, at least you tried your best, and that's good enough. The baked goods are never pretty, the tone is never mean, and the show is always very, very funny. Nicole Byer is Nailed It's host. She's great at it. So great that she was nominated for an Emmy last year. She's now also hosting another show, Wipeout, on TBS, alongside the former wrestler John Cena. She also hosts four podcasts. In short, Nicole Byer is busy. Interviewing Byer for us is the one and only Travel Anderson. They're a veteran entertainment writer and co-host of our podcast, Fantai. Before we kick things off, let's hear a clip from Nailed It. In the latest season of the show, there's a twist. The contestants are working in pairs, which, it will not surprise you to learn, does not make things any prettier. Uh, Like here, Nicole, her co-host Jacques Torres, and guest judge ASAP Ferg are reviewing what is supposed to be a cereal bowl cake. All right, Logan and Caitlin, let's remember the cereal bowl cake you were trying to make, and let's see what you did. This cake has me stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it looks so sad. Can you spin it around? Look at his shoes, though. I don't know why you want me to look at anything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. I'm I'm tired. Look like a little animal that's just dying on the side of the streets. Uh, You know? I will find a positive. I like the lips. They're very juicy. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Nicole Byer, welcome to Bullseye. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing all right. You know, still in this parallelogram. So, you know. It's the pandemic that won't end. It's delightful and I love it. (laughs) So I want to start our conversation today just by letting everyone who's listening know that this will be a wide-ranging conversation. We're going to talk about Nail Day. We're going to talk about Wipeout. We're going to talk about some other things. But it's all mainly because you are super busy and you have so much going on. The success is just, I feel it 
emanating from the screen right now as we talk to each other. I want to start by asking you, how does it feel to like be in this really like, I would call it a weird moment where you have all of this success happening, but yet, you know, we're all still stuck at home, you know, navigating this pandemic. It is very strange to have things happen while you can't like go out and celebrate. Like I got my first Emmy nomination last year and my roommate, John Milheiser, who's a comedian, he's so funny. I love him so much, but uh, he, he made a step and repeat for me in my backyard. So it was just Uh like, it kind of takes the the wind out of it, but then it's just like people step up in your life and do some like really amazing things. So honestly, Having success, but not being able to like celebrate it publicly has been okay because I'm surrounded by like my chosen family and they're very, very, very good to me. I love that. Now we should say you got that Emmy nomination for being the host of Nailed It. For the folks who, for whatever reason, haven't stumbled on (laughs) Nailed It as they're binging on Netflix, could you give us just like a really quick rundown of like what is going on on this show? Sure. Um, I guess the elevator pitch would be their Pinterest fails. We ask people to recreate these delicate, delightful, delectable confections, uh, but they're not professional bakers. So chaos ensues and uh, we're going to cast some kooky characters. Uh, Some of the contestants are just so funny. Um, But yeah, (laughs) it's just like baking disasters. And this season, which is currently out on Netflix right now, it's got a new subtitle than previous seasons called Double Trouble. So it's slightly different. The You all, instead of the contestants being individuals, they're in pairs. So it's yes. like a mother and a daughter or brothers or something like that. I just need to know, d- did having a pair of people making these confections improve what they were actually delivering to you all? Yes and no. Um, <laughs> for like the most part think, cause like we had to do things differently because of COVID and those protocols, but, um, yeah, we tasted some like better tasting things, but still some like truly wild things. <laughs> I love this face you give me as you say truly wild things. <laughs> because anyone who watches knows that like, while the contestants are given, you know, recipes, right, to follow, Mm -hmm. the recipes aren't necessarily super exact, right? It does have some room for people to, let's just say, improvise a little. I'm I'm not 100% sure. I don't, I'm not in culinary, so I don't really go over that stuff. But I think they get a recipe and then things like vanilla extract or like mint flavoring. It's like however much you think. And then I don't think we tell you how to assemble it. Oh, fun. Oh, fun. So y- y'all are really setting them up to fail. Although I will say I have seen some contestants who do fairly decent jobs and I'm always surprised because I'm like, I don't think I would succeed at that. Well, I think if you're a competitive person, I'm a very competitive person. So like you just look at it and then you're like, okay, what do I actually have to do? And if you can compartmentalize that, and only do the task at hand. I think you'd do pretty good. Yeah, I I, I always send good energy to every episode that I watch. <laughs> and I'm just like, I hope somebody gives me something that is remotely reflective of what they're supposed to be uh, recreating. But I want to take us back to the beginning, to before the first season. How did this even hosting opportunity for Nailed It come to you? Um, I got really, really, really 
lucky. A lot of times <laughs> you have to go through a lot of auditioning, but I believe someone at the production company, which is called Magical Elves, I think they saw me uh, do stand up somewhere. And then mm-hmm. they brought me in for a meeting, pitched me the idea, and they were like, we we really want a host who kind of teeters on uh, pointing out the silliness and the the wildness of it, but also not an <laughs> And I don't think my comedy is mean, per se. I mean, I can roast you if, like, if you interrupt me or what. Like, I can do it, but like, <laughs> it's not what I'm getting out of bed for. <laughs> um, so yeah, it just we kind of just gelled and then it kind of snowballed from there. I was hoping you would reveal to the world that you are like this, you know, private, amazing baker um, at home that no one knows about. No. Are, are you are you deep in the kitchen? Do, are, are you making three tier cakes and such? No, I'll empty the dishwasher and have to ask my roommate, like, <laughs> where does this go? I don't I'm not a, I'm not in the kitchen. It's not for me. And we should say that your uh, one of the judges on the show is the legendary Jacques Torres, um, which for me, for for those who aren't familiar, I'm one of those folks who who used to watch like Food Network shows back in the day, and Jacques had a, ch- a chocolate show mm-hmm. that he would do. Um, and so I've long been a fan of him when I thought I was going to be a chef. And then my mom was like, I'm not paying for you to go to culinary school. <laughs> Don't do that. How is it your relationship with him and and going through this process with him? Um, It's been really incredible. He is just a treat of a human being. He's so nice. He's so kind. He loves teaching. So when I genuinely don't know something, he's happy to show me or teach me what it is. Uh, he, he cooks for me. When he's in town, he he takes care of me. He's like a dad. Um, but also he like wants to learn how to tell jokes. And he's pretty, he likes dirty jokes. Like he loves a raunchy joke. We like almost immediately start, like we got along really quick. Honestly, I have nothing bad to say about him. Like literally, if anything, he's too nice. And I'm like, no, Jacques, you have to be mean sometimes. <laughs> it's interesting because I think you mentioned earlier just kind of your comedy style and what the production company was looking for in terms of somebody who could like, you know, point out the foolishness that someone's created but not necessarily be mean about mm-hmm. it. Um, and I think that that the pair of you two together and then whatever third judge that you all have there, um, I'm always interested to... F- figure out how you find something to compliment, (laughs) whether it's the color or. (laughs) Well, it's because somebody took time to make it. Mm. It's like when someone gives you a gift that you don't want, you're not going to be like, this is, I don't want this. Get out of my house. You go, oh my God, thank you so much. I like this part of the gift. Just, just, (laughs) I don't know. You don't want someone to like leave your house feeling like, I don't want people to leave the studio feeling like, So like when somebody looks like they're about to cry or like something, it's like, okay, the jokes have to end and we have to like, you know, everyone, I guess the boomers are just like, everyone gets a trophy in your generation. And I'm like, yeah, but not really. It's because like, I don't know, there's something about trying. Yeah, and it takes courage to to try. And I think for me to, to sign up for a TV show, when you know that, your final product you create is probably not going to be the the accurate replica. I feel like you should be rewarded for that. Like people are signing up to entertain us. Um, and the least you can do is say, thank you for, you know, getting the right 
red color for whatever mm-hmm. you were supposed to make or something like that. You mentioned that you uh, were nominated for the Emmy um, for Outstanding Host of Reality or Competition Program last year, becoming the first Black woman ever nominated in that category. So shout out to you. I'm wondering if if the, the last year, after being the Emmy-nominated Nicole Byer, has changed you? Has your head gotten bigger? No. Why would it? It's just a nomination. <laughs> I didn't win. I don't have a trophy. Um, no, it's just, I think it just, it's validating. I think when you're nominated, when people recognize that you put in a lot of work and that you try hard to make the show funny. And yeah, it was, it was truly just validating. It was just nice. <laughs> and like people say it's an honor to be nominated. And you're like, that's, it's not. It's like, that's something that's always with me, that somebody thought that my work was good enough to be nominated for, like, a prestigious award with other prestigious... Like, being nominated with RuPaul, like, what the f***? Like, you know? It's like, (laughs) it's a dream come true. It's like, sometimes you do a lot of work, especially in the beginning of your career, and say, like, I performed at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York and L.A., and you're just doing show after show after show in a basement, and you're like, am I performing in a void? Is anyone seeing me? Is... Is any traction happening? And so then when someone finally goes, yeah, traction's happening. Like, we like you. Here's an Emmy nomination. You're like, oh, so that all that work was not for, for nothing. Yeah. Well, how would you, for people who, who haven't been following you um, and following your career, like, how would you describe your journey to this point as a comedian? I guess my journey as a comedian, I would say it's been... I mean, not like a long, long time, but I've been working for a while. I decided in 2008-ish to like pursue comedy and take like improv classes. So 2008 to 2021, that's a long time. Speaking of comedy, comedians, I feel like have been deeply impacted over the last year, not being able to tour. Um, So many folks, I've seen more and more, you know, basically Zoom comedy shows popping up to give folks uh, a chance. Um, What has that been like for you as somebody, I know prior to the pandemic, you were always touring. Mm -hmm. I feel like you were always going somewhere. In what ways do you think the, the pandemic has impacted your comedy? I mean, the pandemic has impacted every single person who does live performance, comedians, drag queens, musicians, the people who work at those venues, the people at the airport. Like, it's just, it's so many people who've been affected by it. And it's so lovely that our government's like, we're not going to do anything to help you. (laughs) But, um, like, I'm lucky that I have podcasts. So, like, I have other ways to do comedy and whatnot. But yeah, it's truly been, I haven't done an hour of comedy in a year. So it's like when states are opening back up and it's like, okay, time to get back on the road. I'm like, wait, do I feel okay actually charging people to watch me not learn how to do stand up again, but like get into the rhythm of it? Mm -hmm. I did a show. It's Wednesday now. I did a show over the weekend and my first set, I was doing like 15 minutes. My first set, I was like, ooh, boy, this is a little, not rough, but like, ooh, what comes next? Yikes, I don't know. And then like the second set, I was like much more comfortable and like in the material. So it just, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's like, I don't know. I'm sure musicians get rusty. Everyone's yeah. rusty. I love that. You mentioned earlier that for uh, Nailed It, it part, I guess this season was done partly in quarantine. Is is that is that right? Or in the last year or so? Yeah. 
How was that? How was it different for you this go around than say the previous seasons? Well, um, uh, I didn't go near the contestants. There was six. We were six feet apart. Uh, I pitched. I was like, "Yo, let me get in a hamster ball so I can talk to the contestants," <laughs> and that did not happen. Then I was like, "Yo, let me come out of the ceiling six feet away and, and talk to them in a shield." And they're like, "No," and I was like, "Okay," <laughs> but uh. <laughs> It's hard to like come up with fun, creative things when you're like in the midst of a production and you have to do, you know, a ton of COVID testing and COVID protocols and make sure everything's clean and hand washing stations, uh, you know, dressed in all your PPE. It's nerve wracking and a little, <laughs> it's tough. It was tough. And then like I interact with Wes and the camera operators and it, that's hard to do in a mask. So yeah, it was just... It was a different experience for me. Very, very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I will say, having watched some of the episodes of Nailed It, that it doesn't it doesn't feel any different than previous seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's st- it's still funny, it's still engaging, and I think what you all were able to do, even with the the distance um, and the social distancing and all of that, it's still it still is that good, easy viewing, something you can throw on TV and just. Re- recognize hours later that you've been watching Nailed It for five hours, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's and it's really good. So kudos to you all for still, I think, delivering something despite you know the foolishness we've all been dealing with. Thank you. Um, I want to ask about Wes as one of your people you interact with on the show. Those are some of my my favorite moments. Um, could you tell the people a little bit about who Wes is if they they're not watching Nailed It and the the relationship that that kind of unfolds throughout the episodes? Sure, Wes is the first AD, so he's the assistant director. Um, the director and EPs, the executive producers, are all in. Video Village, where that's where everyone's watching the monitors and watching everything happen. So they're pretty far away from me, so they can't give me direction from there. So Wes is the one who's directing me, essentially. So Wes is, like, in charge. Um, And I guess it was the first episode. We hadn't fully figured out who was bringing out the trophy, if the trophy was just going to appear. And then one of the EPs was like, Wes will bring it out. And then I was like, (laughs) since he is the AD... He's the one who's like, we're rolling, go for it. So he like wasn't there to tell me to go for it. So I was like, go for it, like go. And I wear an (laughs) earpiece and nobody was answering me. So I was just like, where's? And then it's now become like a running gag. I call for him and he uh, comes out with the trophy. (laughs) Then, I don't know, I like to push the envelope. I like to just see like, how much can I do? What, like we have PAs. Uh, I want lasagna. <laughs> so, so then it seems like Wes is like going to like run me errands and stuff. Um, honestly, I categorize our relationship as like, I am the little sister he never asked for. <laughs> um, before we kind of switch gears and talk about one of your other projects, I did want to ask some of the stuff that the folks create on Nailed It does not look appealing, does not look appetizing. And yet, I feel like every single thing I see you all taste, Mm -hmm. even if it's just like a little nibble. Have you ever said, oh, I'm not eating that? I saw how you made it. No, um, because there's producers on the floor watching them. So like 
everything seemed pretty safe in the COVID era. Also, it's being heated up. And I feel like the one consistent through this pandemic is like, it doesn't transfer via food. Um, But also, I was like, I don't want to be the show that discovers it does. But um, (laughs) there has there's been things where I'm like, I don't want to eat that. But like, commit to the bit like the bit is we eat weird so it's like i don't know not what am i gonna not eat it no i'm gonna eat it you made it i'll eat it maybe i'll spit it out but i'll i will eat it i will (laughs) taste it all right i want to cue up another clip that we have one of your other mini jobs is you're hosting the Wipeout reboot on TBS um, with John Cena, Camille Costic. Here's a clip from the trailer. Here's to the everyday warriors. The ones who punch above their weight. Those with a dream to conquer the most absurd obstacle course in the world. But what they don't know is that TBS has made the course even tougher. mustard. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, I hope yes. people start saying that instead of profanity. Oh, fudge and mustard. <laughs> so I have to ask, how familiar were you with the the earlier iteration of the show before signing on? Um, I had never like sat down and watched an episode. I just seen like tons of clips online and I was a very big fan of that. I thought it was very funny. I love watching people fall down. YouTube has some delightful compilations that you could just sit down and get lost in. Uh, but yeah, I was like really excited to do it because I just thought the, I just think it's so funny. Yeah. And and we should say for the listeners, Wipeout, it's basically right. This like huge obstacle course that has a number of different ways in which people could potentially injure themselves. And- <laughs> yeah. It's like, there'll be like little pegs coming out of a wall that you have to run through but as you like leap from peg to peg, there's something in the wall that like pushes you. So it's a it's a just an obstacle course really designed for you to not get through it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to know, did you happen to jump on the obstacle course and try it out yourself? So I asked. I was like, I would love to do it. <laughs> like our last day, I want to do it. And Matt, the creator, <laughs> very much was like, no. And then I think another <laughs> producer was like, maybe uh, this is like over a Zoom call. And then I fell in November. I fell down my stairs and I dislocated my ankle. So while we were shooting, oh, I was no. in a medical boot and <laughs> it was just like, well, hard. No, you can't do anything. You have to sit. <laughs> you don't even get up. You sit. You cannot get more injured. <laughs> Help me help me understand why we think people potentially getting injured, falling off of big red balls, getting accidentally punched in the face by something that juts out of a wall, funny and entertaining. I think it's because it's like a little bit of escapism. It's just like this fantasy world where people are doing these big, weird obstacle courses and you're like, I could do that. Ooh, maybe I don't want to do that. No, I could do that. Oh, I don't want to. You're going to oscillate between like <laughs> gleefulness and and like horror and it's just it, i i don't know it's just funny to watch people fall down i think it's truly as simple as that i see see different things happening and i'm like oh that's probably a concussion there or mm-hmm. you're going to feel that in the morning and next week as well it just 
<laughs> and I say that as somebody who's super like not physical at all. I barely want to, you know, walk around the block. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, I know that person's going to be super sore from that. Um, but one of the beauties I think also of um, what I've seen thus far of the show is this this way that you, even from that clip we just we just heard, I um, mean, you talked about this earlier, your style of comedy, um, you know, retrofitting it for this type of show. You get it's it can be a little, you know, blue, but like still family friendly um, in a really interesting way. Um, and I can tell like when you're untethered, I know I've seen, I've seen some of your shows, you can let loose with the best of them, but there's this unique balance that I think you find, um, to ensure that anybody could really, you know, watch Nailed It or watch Wipeout. Could you talk to me about finding and perfecting that balance? Yeah. Well, I nailed it. The only like scripted thing is me explaining the challenges. Everything else is like, whatever. Um, And then like when we're critiquing, I used to do this more so than like now, just because like now people know the show and it's like, oh my God, the woman my daughter loves is like looking at my cake being like, what the f*** is this? So it's like, I (laughs) I rein it in a little bit more now. But in the beginning, I would like say, I do work pretty like dirty like you're not gonna see a set where I don't talk about being horny or like my if you see me live so I kind of go very blue go very much like you you can't air this and then work my way backwards to like okay here's like a less dirty version here's a very clean version and then editing editors are great <laughs> the editors they make the show is there a moment from filming Wipeout that like just sticks out to you as as being particularly memorable for you yeah there was this one man i wish i could remember his name uh he said it so many times maybe it was dan i don't remember but he just didn't do it he just stood there the <laughs> whole time and would like pretend to do it like he would like Ugh, and then he'd go no and, he'd go, Ugh, and then no <laughs> and then i was like i get it like you have to get on this spinning thing hold on to it you'll be upside down you have to climb to the middle like it, it was a lot you know, but uh, I was truly like, so we're just going to let this man stand here for as long as this man wants to. Oh, okay. And what about working with John Cena? Um, and then the, the person who's in like the, on what is it? On the ground reporter uh-huh. role from the originals, Camille. What's it like working with them as well? I mean, John is a true joy, a delight, also very funny. So like I get to work with two different men who are not, comedians by trade who are just naturally funny and john cena is he's naturally funny he's charismatic he's a consummate professional uh yeah it was just really delightful to work with him he's easy to banter with he's yeah i really just like him (laughs) (laughs) like he's giving me good advice because we've got like we've had a lot of like downtime in between setups and whatnot so it's just like having like real conversations with him and it's just like oh yeah you're like way more than this persona that you have because at first i was like okay i don't does he like me and then like after two or three days i was like oh okay i get you i think i think i get you so yeah i (laughs) working with him is really awesome and camille is delightful i haven't had much interaction with her because she's down with the contestants Mm -hmm. and we are away from the contestants so uh but honestly the few interactions we've had she's been truly so nice We have even more with Nicole Byer still to come. In case it wasn't super clear, Nicole is very busy. She even just got a gig playing Susie's mom in the upcoming Rugrats reboot. 
We'll hear more about that after the break. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Odoo. Running a company's hard, but over 6 million people found a way to make it easier thanks to Odoo. Odoo is a suite of business applications designed to streamline, automate, and simplify any company. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, e-commerce, manufacturing, inventory management, you name it, Odoo's got it. Each app is user-friendly, intuitive, and fully integrated. For a free trial of Odoo, go to odoo.com slash bullseye. Whether you're looking to discover a new series to binge, find your next great read, or check out that movie everyone's talking about, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast is your guide to all things entertainment. Every weekday, we keep pop culture in high spirits. Listen now to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Well, hello, I'm Renee Colvert. Hi, I'm Alexis Preston, and we are the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog? And we got breaking news, we got an expose, and all the beans have been spilled via an Apple podcast review that said, this show isn't well-researched. Well, yeah, no duh. Of course it's not. Not since the day we started has it been well-researched. Guessing and anthropomorphizing dogs is what we do. The Can I Pet Your Dog promise is that we will never do more than 10 seconds of research before telling you excitedly about any dog we see. I'm going to come at you with top 10 enthusiasm, minimal facts. We're here for a good time, not an educated time. So if you love dogs and you don't love research, well, (laughs) you know what? Come on in to Can I Pet Your Dog podcast every Tuesday on Maximum Fun Network. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, our guest is the wonderful Nicole Byer. She's a stand-up comic, podcaster, and the host of two television shows, Nailed It, which just entered its fifth season on Netflix, and the newly rebooted Wipeout, which is airing now on TBS. She's being interviewed by our friend Travel Anderson, host of our podcast, Fantai. You mentioned earlier, I'm I'm making another pivot to one of your other jobs, um, and that is you have like 12 podcasts, and I want to go through each of them so that like folks listening know the the different bits that they can get about you and your life and and whoever your co-host is um, for each of them. Let's start with Why Won't You Date Me? Mm -hmm. Tell the people about that podcast. So Why Won't You Date Me is like my first podcast. And um, so it's in its inception, it was like, ooh, I'm going to interview like people I've like hooked up with and my friends and we'll talk about love and my dates and whatever. Uh, and it's evolved to so much more now. Now, I mean, like I haven't been dating during the pandemic. I, I just I've said it a hundred times. I won't die for mediocre. D- I'm not doing it. <laughs> But yeah, it's like I've just gotten to explore a lot of like really interesting things over the last year. Like I've had some sex workers on, uh, sex worker advocates who've been working for uh, rights for sex workers because like, say strippers, like they have such work environments that it's like mm-hmm. mind boggling. Um, I've gotten to talk to full service sex workers. Like it's just been like really interesting. I've talked to activists. And then also like I, I do, you know, ask them about their dating lives. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's really fun. So like the older stuff is very much like I'm traveling, I'm hooking up with people, talking about sex and like having it and having a great time. And now it's just like, all right, I'm old, still alone and I can't leave my home and I'm the (laughs) I've ever been. Would you like to listen to that? Uh, but I, I do have a good time on it. 
<laughs> and then you also have uh, Best Friends with Sashir. Yes, Sashir Zameda. She's been my dear friend for... I want to say 10 years. She at this, she's probably like, no, that's not right. Uh, she, <laughs> she knows all of it, uh, <laughs> but it's like really silly. Yeah. It's just like us exploring our friendship, just chit chatting, catching up. Cause like we're both little busy bees. Uh, one episode I found out that I'm not the, the, the height I thought I was. <laughs> Cause I accused her of lying about her height because I, we always thought we were the same height, but in pictures I'm shorter. So I was like, you're the liar. <laughs> And she was like, no, Nicole, you're smaller. And I was like, no. And I measured myself and I was like, oh, no, my whole life has been a lie. Um, (laughs) So it's like very dumb like that. We tee hee hee and have a very nice time. Love that as well. I listened to that one personally. Thank you. 90 Day Bay. Yeah. So me and my friend Marcy Jarrow both love 90 Day Fiance. 90 Day Fiance has turned into the 90 Day Universe. There's before the 90 days, 90 Day the other way, 90 Day Diaries, 90 Day Bears All, 90 Day the Single Life, 90 Day Love Games. There's so Darcy and Stacey's <laughs> a spinoff. The Family Chantel's another spinoff. We watched them all and we were like talking about it for it was like an hour and a half or something. And I think I said to her, I was like, we should do a podcast about it. And she said, oh, okay, let's do it. And she was like, well, you have so many. And I was like, but I'm watching it anyway. So why not just take an hour (laughs) out of my week and record it? So we started a Patreon and it is $5 a month, but you can share the RSS feed with a friend and if you do that, it's two fifty a month, and you get a third friend, it gets even cheaper. You got five friends, that's five. That's a dollar a month. And then, like, Patreon has also been like, "Yeah, you can do that." So I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I don't think they're gonna come for me. But yeah, it's a it's a very fun time. I just love Ninety Day. My God, I I feel like Ninety Day Fiance is also one of those shows that a lot of people have been watching in the pandemic, like just binging mm-hmm. to because it is um, something that like pulls you in and there are so many different versions and spinoffs of it. And so I know a lot of people really enjoy 90 Day. Um, And then I think Newcomers is your last one. Yes. So me and Lauren Lapkus, neither one of us had seen Star Wars. And I guess she had said it on a podcast and then something she was like promoting the podcast on Twitter and someone tweeted, Nicole Byers never seen Star Wars either. You guys should watch it as a podcast. So... I think Lauren texted me or I texted Lauren and I was like, let's do this. So then we pitched it and then we went with HeadGum and we watched almost every piece of Star Wars in the first season. And oh boy, after the first episode, we were like, we made a grave mistake because the first (laughs) Star Wars movie no one tells you is not like a modern day action movie. It's more like an indie with some action. (laughs) long shots of the desert they say we'll be there in 30 minutes it takes them 30 minutes to get there i'm like it don't have to be in real time george what are you doing so then the second season we did um lord of the rings i no shade to people who like lord of the rings but like rethink your choices like what it so boring and now we're exploring the original mcu uh the medea cinematic universe and we're watching tyler perry movies and i've learned so much about the man that i didn't know also his movies are wild but fun (laughs) so like we are finally having fun And some of our listeners are like, this is not what I signed up for. I signed up for women suffering. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably come back with another season of like the other MCU and f- get through that. 
I love that you all are going through Tyler Perry movies. My small suggestion, the plays are a lot better. That's what people keep saying. I saw a play growing up. I don't remember any of it other than a joke where a woman is wearing a green dress and someone says, you look like a can of Sprite. And the crowd (laughs) erupted. And I was like, huh. 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 I believe that's Diary of a Mad Black Woman, the play. Oh, that's so Um, funny that you... I consider myself, ironically, to be a Tyler Perry um, historian. Um, I grew up on the plays Uh in in particular, and then now Tyler Perry has this whole empire. Do you know much about his personal life? I wish. I I don't. You know, Tyler Perry's a very quiet and, like... I don't want to say secretive, but like doesn't like broadcasting a lot of that information. No, but like we did a quick Google and found out that he had had he had a partner for like ten years and has a kid. Oh yeah, I knew that. Do you know the kid's name? No, I think it's Aman, but it's spelled A M A N. So I like to say a man Tyler Perry. <laughs> that child's middle name is Tyler Perry, or his last name is Perry. And I was like, that's so funny that he truly named his child <laughs> a man Tyler Perry. And I was like, this man's funny. Medea's so funny. Yes. yes. I didn't know. There's a scene in Diary of a Mad Black Woman where he's using a calculator that Lauren and I could not stop talking about. <laughs> he's just like bashing it with his hands and his titties are flopping. And it's, 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 it's a simple joke. It is such yeah. a simple joke. But he commits and it's so funny. I truly just hope. Like, people have been a little like, ugh, why are you doing this? Da, 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 da. I just hope, like, we open Tyler Perry up to other people. Because, like, I hadn't seen them. And I'm like, I'm sure our audience hasn't seen them. You know, they white. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, like, I don't know. I did not expect to be talking about Tyler Perry plays and movies yeah. with Nicole Byer on Bullseye today. But Here there you go. Um, we were just talking about your four podcasts that you're doing. I, my question is, why podcasts? Like, what about the podcast medium is attractive to you and makes you want to keep doing them? Why not? Good question. Good answer. I don't know. It's a way to... I mean, why won't you date me? I come up with a lot of material from that. So my manager, I love him so much. Joel is truly incredible he listens to it it's so funny i had a manager prior who i was like just listen to it i think it's good he never would but joel listens to every episode and he'll be like nicole this little nugget that you said is good for a joke you should try to turn that into a joke and then i'll work on it and then i'll be like oh i have like a five minute bit on this now um so it is a way to like work out jokes before you get on stage even um also it's fun it's fun to watch 90 day and you know talk about it with a friend It's fun to watch movies and talk about it with Lauren. It's been, like, really nice to just, like, connect with friends. Yeah, it's over Zoom. Yes, it's work. But, like, it's nice to just see them. Yeah. I don't know. Why not? Why not do it? The last category of stuff I want to ask you about is just, like, a lot of the the acting opportunities that you have done. You've done a lot of voice work um, in terms of, like, voicing different characters. And the one that sticks out to me, I was on your IMDb page, which is extensive if i do say so myself a little birdie named imdb told me that you are going to be the voice of Susie's mom on rugrats yes i think that's amazing thank you i was so excited like i went in for the audition and uh i was just like this is so iconic i don't know if they're gonna 
go with me. And then they ended up going with me. It was so nice. I, I love that. And I feel like... I feel like Black folks, we love Susie on the Rugrats <laughs> in particular. There's a gif of Susie that's just like the blank stare, the mm-hmm. blank blink situation that I use all the time. Um, and I love to know now that I'm going to hear your voice on Rugrats. What of your of your projects uh, and the types of characters that you voice, what character sticks out in your mind? It's like, oh, I really loved that opportunity. I mean, I really do love Lucy. I think she's like no nonsense. Um, she's fun. But uh, I do this voice on Big City Greens called, and the character is called Andromeda. And she's just like an ornery little purple girl. And she's a conspiracy <laughs> theorist. And I get to like scream and uh, I get to go pretty big and broad with her, which is so much fun. Honestly, like I, the voiceover world is just—it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I love that. And now between between nailed it and Wipeout and the voice work and the other acting work that you're doing, your four podcasts. I'm wondering, just like what what do you hope is like the through line between all of the different projects that you do in terms of audience members and what they're seeing and getting from you? I hope I I hope I'm funny. I hope that you laugh. I hope you forget about like maybe something that's bothering you that day. Yeah. I hope to just like bring you joy. That's I I say, I love that a lot. Um, But I think we don't, we don't talk about joy enough. Um, We don't talk about, about escaping um, the foolishness in our world. And I think you're right. That comedy can be one of those tools in particular, Um, particularly for, you know, folks who come from various marginalized and oppressed communities. Sometimes you just need to throw something on and laugh um, to get through it. Also, I hope that like another little fat girl, little fat black girl who sounds like me goes, Oh, I don't have to sound a certain type of way. She sounds the way she sounds. I sound the way I sound. I can be an actress too. So yeah, I just, and I I hope I open the door for some, some more little fatties to roll on in, waddle on in. I was going to ask, you know, who are some of your, you know, those comedic reference points that you always go back to over and over when when you're looking to laugh, when you're looking to for various points of inspiration? When I'm looking to laugh and like feel comfort, because that's a thing for me. I like uh, I like watching the same things again because it's comforting. I watch mm-hmm. Death Becomes Her, My Cousin Vinny, Sister Act, The Associate, Ghost. One of those, one of those movies. Uh, Marissa Tomei and My Cousin Vinny is so funny. Um, and when I was little, I was like, oh, she's a lady who's into cars. I like cars. So honestly, like the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, representation is so f-ing important. Because like mm-hmm. maybe if I didn't see Marissa Tomei, I'd be like, oh, cars are for boys. They're stupid or whatever. <laughs> um, and then Ghost, every scene Whoopi Goldberg is in is a perfect comedy bit. It's like every... Every scene she's in has like a full game. She's playing it and she and like the the performance is nuanced and really just amazing. And then The Associate, big premise movie. Many people haven't seen it. I love it so much. I think it's great. Also Eddie doesn't stream anywhere, but it's one of my favorite movies. In Eddie, Whoopi Goldberg is a limo driver who becomes the head coach of the New York Knickerbockers, owned by Frank Langella. <laughs> and <laughs> And it's like, it's so good. And I don't know why it doesn't stream anywhere. 
Also, uh, <laughs> Made in America is a perfect movie with Ted Danson um, and Whoopi. That's perfect. There's like an elephant scene in the middle of the road that you were like, nobody would green light this now. Uh, yeah, I just, I love it. Um, my, I, I think that I just want to wrap up by saying you're hilarious and I think everyone should check out all of the many things that you're doing and that you have coming down the line. Is there something that I didn't ask you about that you want to plug really quickly? No, that's it for now. I got my podcasts, um, wipe out, nailed it. And then in the fall, I'll have a show on NBC that I'm very excited about. Nicole Byer, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Nicole Byer, friends. You can watch all five seasons of Nailed It on Netflix. Wipeout is airing Thursdays at 9, 8 central on TBS. Nicole also hosts four podcasts. They're called Why Won't You Date Me, Best Friends, Newcomers, and 90 Day Bay. Thank you to Travel Anderson for interviewing Nicole. They are the host of the great podcast, Fanti, here on Maximum Fun. Together with their co-host, Jared Hill, they take a look at some of our problematic faves and how to enjoy culture in the complicated age in which we currently live. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where this week, the completely barren Charlie Brown Christmas tree-esque tree in my backyard burst to life like a caricature of spring. It's now entirely covered in green leaves, and it all happened within the course of a week. Nature is really something. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks very much to them and their label Memphis Industries for sharing it. You can also keep up with the show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post all our interviews there. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.